And that's the thing with my thinking. I consider like my energy and my time the currency, and then like whatever comes from that. There's too many people with money that don't have a great life or a fulfilling life that I that I personally know. So it's not like I'm just out there just looking for something that's gonna like make me money. I just want to be able to touch people while I'm here. Hello and welcome to Here in LA, Lemurk Park Edition. Today we talk with Dante Mitchell. Dante is a poet, baller, educator, and rapper who knows way more about gangs and gang culture than I expected. We'll talk about his hometown of Lamarck Park, nearby View Park, and Inglewood, and his mentor and brother, Mike the Poet, who introduced us. So with no further ado, Dante Mitchell. Hey, everybody. I am with Dante Mitchell. Yes. Hello. Hello. Also known as the... Prince of the ghetto. The Prince of the ghetto. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The Prince part I understand. You're a handsome man, great shape. Is that an umlaut you've got? Uh, yeah. Ankh that I got from uh, Cairo, actually, when I was in Egypt. What? Yeah. It's made of an uh, olive tree. Wow. Yeah, it's a really cool piece. I like it. I'm a very light-skinned black man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My family cringes at the word ghetto. <laughs> but not only are you embracing it, you're wearing a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> and you are the prince of the ghetto. Mm -hmm. So what would you say to make them feel better about that word? I'll start from how I thought of it. So my perception was I'm a kid from the inner city. I had like a pretty tumultuous life. And a lot of my friends didn't get to like live as long as I did so I just always saw the best in those people who were like either passed away or going in and out of jail I just saw their the best qualities of them so I just figured that I lived in a place where I was able to get all this knowledge and instincts that I wouldn't have been able to get if I just had an easier life I guess mm -hmm. so I it, for my, for me, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going through the struggle. It's like a bad, horrible place and poverty and all this stuff. It was like, oh, this is enriching me to become a better person and giving me these life lessons early that other people might not get if, they, if they're in a better situation than this. And I saw the way that when you see people going through struggle and then still being happy, you just start to get a different respect for them. So I just... I was like, yo, this is like royalty around me. So that's the whole thing with like the prince of the ghetto, just trying to turn like something with a negative connotation into a positive because like people, like I know there's a negative connotation from the word ghetto, but I also have to accept and be real with myself. Like that's where I grew up. Like it's nothing that I can't escape from that. And I want to be a representation that people from that area aren't always just like, they don't come with the stereotypes that comes with the word, word ghetto. You know, everybody's not like that. Mm -hmm. And there, it is funny because once I was selling my merch, um, and I was, I don't know, actually I was having a back to school event, but I was wearing my merch and I saw a lady at the venue that I was having the event at and she was from the neighborhood. I I'm assuming because she saw my shirt and she's like, oh, Prince of the Ghetto, where are you, where are you from? And I was like, oh, I'm from Lemert. And she's turned her nose up. She's like, this is not the ghetto. Like, and I'm just like, I don't know what Lemert you experienced, but obviously we had different experiences. She's much older than me too. 
So it's just like I understand that it's not like something that most people want to be proud of or like want to like embrace or accept. But like the famous song by War Goes, the world is a ghetto. There's no way that you can ex- escape it. Like people think that there, well, well, there are nice places, like, but there's people in those places that are snakes, that are hustlers, that are pimps, even, mm-hmm. just like we have in the ghetto. So no mm-hmm. matter what area you live in or what uh, social economic class you are in, you still have to. With you still have to go through the same things that people do in the ghetto. You may not see it as face value for what it is because it's like this big dressing on it that makes it look nice. Yeah. But it's the same thing. Well, and, and everything's relative, too. So when we talk about all of South L.A., Lamert might be one of the best spots. Right. And, and so this woman might be looking at it in that perspective. Exactly. But if you go uh, north of the 10, people are like, uh-oh, mm-hmm. south of the 10, why do you want to go over there? Exactly. And yet, you look at West Adams, and I mean, there's damn mansions in West yeah. Adams, and Lamert is a nice place. It in is. fact, it's so nice, people are worrying about gentrification, yeah. especially with the Expo line, right? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely already hit, and it's like probably going to be, within the next few years, a totally different neighborhood than the one that I experienced growing up. You think it'll happen that fast? Yeah, because like even right now, like you can just tell not in two years for sure, five though. It's just the people around. I feel like the people that hang out in the village, if you guys are not familiar with the area of Lemur Park, there's a street called Degnan where we have these shops, coffee shops, uh, bookstores, the world stage, theaters, and it's just like a big cultural epicenter. It has been for years now, like at least 50 years. And that space is very, if you go there, you're not going to be like, oh, uh, this is like a gentrified area because it's like where black culture thrives. <laughs> and like I feel black like bookstores, yeah, black, black record stores, stores, black owned buildings clothes. and everything. Yeah. It's, it's almost like a cul-de-sac within a, a city street. Like you feel yeah. really enclosed in there, even though it's, I mean, but you also get like the vibe of a real neighborhood in exactly. that little spot. Yeah. And you feel safe. Mm-hmm. You do feel safe. And that's one of the best things about that area. Like, no matter if people know you or not, if they see, like, something sketch going on, somebody's going to come up to you and, like, have your back. It's just, like, you feel like that family culture in that area. Yeah. Now, right now, if you go outside of those blocks, you see a lot of different families. Uh, The area was, like, mostly black. There was, like, a lot of gang violence. Mm. Now, you know, there's always been a Japanese presence in Lemur Park because there, there has yeah there there was a time where that area was majority Japanese now I, I don't know the this. timeline of it yeah there's a so Lemur Park has a huge history there's been waves of different ethnic ethnic groups that inhabited that area so at first the whole area Lemur Park is named after a guy named Lemur who came in 1939 and he had this idea of building a city I don't know what his exact uh like goal was i know it was like either infrastructure for industries and factories or agriculture but it was something like he had a plan and he wanted to move all these people there and they were majority like i guess we're going to use colors white (laughs) Uh, majority white and um you know then after that i know there was something with like 
something happened with like the intern camps and the mm. people migrated in that area and then it became like a japanese area hmm. so even when i was growing up you always see like older japanese families speck like speckled into the community but huh. it was mo mostly black a lot of gang violence and i was growing up in the 90s and the 2000s so you gotta realize the pulse of the city of la it was like heavy gang culture that's what the media was feeding to us as youth mm -hmm. and it was like a lot of these black playstation films like depicting gangs and it was just like the cool thing to do so now you we got all these uh like sports teams a lot of tech companies, businesses moving into the city, and it's like a circle of like that same community that started the area. They're moving back, basically. Seeing a lot of construction on Crenshaw and King, mm -hmm. and it makes me nervous <laughs> because I used to go there all the time for M and M's. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. that M and M's was place. nasty. The people were mean. Mm -hmm. But the food was great. Exactly. So you put up with everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, it did look like it was on its last legs maybe for like five years. Seriously, horrible service too, by the, the way. Worst. And it was so popular. <laughs> <laughs> and there's plenty of places to get soul food. Yeah. But M&M's had it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so now it's not there. And even the Louisiana chicken that was that shared that little space is gone. Yeah. Um, the Krispy Kreme is still there. Yeah. Um, but the mall across the street, which used to be a Walmart mm -hmm. and many other things, yeah. uh, including a, a weird buffet, yeah, like crazy, <laughs> like it had everything. Yeah, it did. Um, I feel like that corner, all sides of that corner, is kind of the litmus test for me about gentrification. Mm. Because if I see that mall get turned into something that we're not familiar with, yeah. then I know times have changed. Mm -hmm. But I really think that that corner is easier to gentrify and that that block of Crenshaw that used to have one wig store after another, um, mm -hmm. if that stops having wig stores, I think things are changed. Yeah, for sure. Wouldn't you say? No, that's a great litmus test. And, like, there's been... A struggle with the mall. I don't know if you know about this. Like, not really. No. So there, the community put together this group, and they were great, great group of people. They had their plan and they knew what they wanted to do. They just had to raise the money to challenge this uh, financial group to buy that mall. And the financial group, I can't think of the name who of the guy who runs it, but he's friends with Trump. He's like mm. a yuppie, some young businessman, and he has a lot of properties in New York. Mm -hmm. And they believe they're going to turn it into like commercial properties or residences maybe. So mm. the group ended up getting more money than the financial group put down on the building but the city still rejected it really so there it the, that's why and that why is why i'm saying like the time is definitely coming but yeah so for me and and this is the thing for me there's like a great like a great group of people that are fighting for these things and I, i'm just not for it because i don't want to see these things stay there and then it's just like we're not there anymore it's just like what's the point of like having mm -hmm. lemur party we're gonna have to travel from fontana to get here or yeah. all these other cities to get here we need to like make sure we cultivate this and keep it to where we have the same spirit but to wherever we have to move because 
unfortunately, you know, we don't have the the power. You know, it's just the way the system is set up. Like, if you don't have the money, then you kind of just have to go with the flow. You know. How far is the jungles from from that mall? Uh, it's not far. It's like right behind the mall. Yeah. Yeah. So so in Lamert, there's like this weird thing there. That corner that you speak of, I always tell people, like my relatives used to come to visit. That corner on King and Crenshaw is where a lot of the bloods would hang out because mm. there's like they're right behind the mall. So if you guys know the intersection we're talking about on King and Crenshaw, it's in front of the Baldwin Hills Mall, the jungles, which is where the popular famous movie Training Day that Denzel is in was filmed. Mm -hmm. Just to give you some kind of reference, there's a blood gang that's behind the mall. They always come and kick it on that corner. Well, this is back when I was growing up. The next corner up is a, a Crip Street gang called the 40s, 40 Crips. And King Boulevard is the street after 39th so king boulevard is technically like that borderline where the 40s start and then after king is 40s 42nd 43rd so you're talking going south yeah so if we go from crenshaw to king to crenshaw and what is that vernon mm -hmm. there there's crips on Ver crenshaw and vernon and then there will be bloods on crenshaw king mm -hmm. and um that mall would always there's been killings at that mall like the gang violence there police have killed people mm -hmm. so there's a lot of traumatic history that is connected to that building that i'm just like i don't really know why we're holding on to it like so the type of person i am i'm like okay if we can keep the building and then we can like make have like a yoga class there or like <laughs> counseling to where people could come and just like release all their tensions and traumas that we've built over these generations like uh just not just retail things where we're like supporting the essentially the same people that were that are going to buy the building anyway mm -hmm. you know so so it, it sounds like king is the the mason dixon line between the bloods and the crips and that's probably not going to go away because it's such an iconic street yeah i mean the the, the parade is held there mm -hmm. and um again it's not going to go away i mean riots burnings like everything yeah. has come and gone and yet it seems like that's still the line, right? Mm -hmm. And and even though gang, it seems to me that gang activity has gone down over time. I mean, you're 32. Yeah. I'm about 20-something <laughs> 20, <laughs> 20 years older than you. And and yet I feel like gangs have, have simmered down a little. Um, obviously, they're never, ever going to go away forever. Yeah. But I think you're right. If you build a mall right in the middle of it, mm -hmm. you're asking for trouble. Yeah, for sure. Unless you have some sort of creative plan that nobody's ever thought about before. Right. But do you have a creative plan on what you would do if you were yeah. in charge of that area? You know what? I know a lot of artists. So, like, I'm always trying to get people to use their gifts to enrich the next generation. So, a lot of that stuff, like... I know yoga teachers. I would be like, yo, would you be down to run a yoga studio? I know people who make beats. Yo, would you be down to, like, use one of these buildings to teach kids? But then there's, like, the whole thing with, like, money. I, <laughs> And that's the thing with my thinking. I'm, like, that's, like, one of the last things I, I'm ever thinking about. Like, I consider, like, my energy and my time the currency. Mm -hmm. And then, like, whatever comes from that comes from that. Like, I'm not just one of those people like, oh, I got to make the most money out of this situation 
because I don't know, there's too many people with money that don't have a great life or a fulfilling life True. that I that I personally know. So it's not like I'm just out there just looking for something that's going to like make me money. I just want to be able to touch people while I'm here. Mm-hmm. You know, we we don't have to be here. There's like how many sperm cells? Like <laughs> we were lucky enough to be here. I doubt that we were just supposed to come here just to uh like collect a piece of paper that another person that was fortunate enough to be alive thought of and made and created and pr- now we print it out like it's just like such a like such a low vibrating thing for me for me for yeah. other people you know that's not the case but we're all individuals well but but you're a special individual and we can, i can tell that already dante um Thank so you. you grew up in lamert were you <sighs> Because I did not grow up in in your neighborhood. I grew mm-hmm. up in the whitest suburbs of Illinois. Okay, okay. So I have absolutely no idea what you experienced as a young person. And all I have is training day and boys in the hood. And yeah. I mean, I did live in Inglewood for a little while when okay. I first moved to L.A. Because I wanted to have a different experience. Right. And I'm glad I did. Because when the riots happened, I feel like I understood them a little bit. The Rodney King mm. riots. Because um, our little corner Korean market guy didn't treat the customers who were almost all black well. Mm -hmm. I guess my question to you is, how? it sounds like you weren't involved in the gangs as a young person. No, not at all. How did you stay away from it? Well, my father was incarcerated when I was younger. So any element of like... I mean, I guess before that, I kind of already had, before my dad, he went to jail when I was 11. Mm -hmm. But even before that, I kind of always had a great group of community around me, like adults. And most people that do join gangs, I feel like that's what they are seeking. So I I was just fortunate, honestly. I was just honestly fortunate. And then- Were were your friends in gangs? Yeah, a lot of my, (laughs) so my first friend that died from gang violence, I was nine years old. How old yeah. was he? He was 15. Okay. Joseph and uh, Joseph was the only white kid from my community from Inglewood. Yeah. So that And that's another thing. <laughs> so I grew up, before I moved to Lamert, I was born on a street called Queen Street in Inglewood. And we literally had most races represented. Like I grew up with like Filipino kids, uh, white kids, El Salvadorian, Mexican like black anything you could think of really i they were all there and we had queen, a park queen and what was was this queen and florence so there's a park called queen street park i grew up right across the street from the park okay yeah and it's near the inglewood cemetery so mm-hmm. i never really had even though i grew up in the hood and it was like i guess a lot of gang violence i never i noticed that a lot of people of my peers had this thing about like white boys or that, but oh, white boy, like I never had that thing because that guy Joseph was one of the toughest people from my neighborhood. Oh, was he? And he was like in the blood gang. So I always, he was like one of the only white people I knew besides the rest of his family. But I was just, I never really, I, I didn't think white people were like super tough, but I, I definitely didn't think they were soft because I had <laughs> Joseph in my neighborhood, you know, so. And he was the first kid that I knew that died from gang violence. Mm. He died right. There was a convalescent home. So if you take Queen Street all the way down from, like I said, Florence, the other street is, what is that, Hillcrest or Manchester? Mm-hmm. You go down the hill, then you go up. And at the top of the hill on Queen Street in Manchester, he got killed right in front of the convalescent home. Mm. 
Uh, I'm sure it was just like from a rival gang. Guns, knives. Gun. He was yeah. He was shot down. Yeah. 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 Okay, so so you had this guy that you looked up to. Mm-hmm. Was his death what deterred you, or that was that's a great question? Maybe. Yeah, you know, I never really understood the whole culture of being in a gang. I guess like I I still don't like, and now as I grow older. I noticed that I kind of, man, <laughs> I kind of think that it's just like very, what's the word? Like, it's just what it, whatever, like the point they're trying to prove is like the exact opposite of what they're doing. Like, you're trying to be all tough and stuff, but it's like you go to other people for protection. Like, mm-hmm. I never was that type of guy, like, that I felt like I needed somebody else to like fight my battles for me. Okay, so were you ever close to being in a gang? Did you ever say, you know what, fine? Uh, no, but Never. There, no, but like you said, like I'm an athletic guy, so like because of my size, like people would always be like, oh, like trying to recruit me <laughs> to their game. You also play basketball, right? Yeah, I play basketball. Okay. so that saved me too. Like if you oh, play sports in the inner city, that saves you from like kind of like being like messed with because. Only like if you're good at sports, then it really saves you. So Hold that's on just a second. We got the LAPD trying to <laughs> ride on cue. Mama mia! <laughs> I mean, this courtyard's great for lots of things, but today <laughs> we got bees, we got the cops. Okay, let me ask you about basketball because I I loved sports mm-hmm. when I was younger, and I I I I thought I was good at basketball because I was surrounded with white people. Yeah. <laughs> then I met black people, and I learned I was not good at basketball, yeah. but I was good at trash talking, which <laughs> my black uh, opponents were excellent at. Yeah, they were yeah. just as good at trash talking mm-hmm. as they were basketball, which I loved. <laughs> I They called me every name in the book, which was great, <laughs> as they're shooting, as they're stealing. Mm-hmm. But it was all in fun. Yeah. But every now and then, you pull off a couple good shots, lucky shots, mm-hmm. and they want to fight. Does that happen in Lamert Park? Yo, I literally was just telling this story today. I got <laughs> jumped out of park. It's not in Lamert Park, but it's not far. It's like two minutes away. It's like the very next community over. There's Wh- a park called Dinker Park. Okay. And... This is a little bit closer going to USC. If you go down Western Avenue, uh, headed north, uh, and you get to like Western and 36, you make a right, and then you're at Dinker Park. And the gang that resides in that area is the 30 Crips, Harlem 30 Crips. So they, uh, I was playing basketball, like just doing what I do, like always, just hooping. And then a guy kind of takes offense from how hard I was playing. Like, I was just like, I was so confused. He was just like, in defense, and he called foul. And I was just confused. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, that's not a foul. Like, are you from L.A.? Like, so he's just like. That's an Orange County foul? Yeah, yeah. It was like a suburb <laughs> foul. Like, I'm like, what's going on here? So he's, he like 
doesn't even like say anything. He just takes off on me. It punches me in my face. Next thing I know, I got like five dudes swinging on me. And two of my friends are there, but it's funny because I, when I was telling my friend, he was like, why didn't they do anything? I remember vividly thinking, like, I hope they don't jump in, like, because it's going to get worse. Like, really? we were so outnumbered. Yeah. And I feel like if they would have jumped in, the people that weren't, that were just like, oh, it's enough people. They would have all just jumped all three of us. Like, it would have been bad. And I wasn't, it wasn't just like I, like I wasn't able to walk out. I had no broken bones. I had a hole in my lip and I still went Oof. to work, like. It was kind of like we got in a scuffle and then everybody broke it up because I knew I go there a lot. At that time, I had been going there a lot. So I knew mm -hmm. a lot of the people and they were kind of like, oh, back off, back off. And they were able to get the crowd off me. But then by that time, I was just like, I'm going to leave because I didn't know what it could escalate to. I saw the dude who originally punched me on the phone calling people. So I'm like, let me get out of here and just go to work. Like, it's not really that serious to me. Okay. Now... I don't know if this is a generational thing. I'm Gen X. Mm -hmm. You're millennial. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a, a terrible combination in sports among black men. Mm -hmm. Our machismo level goes way up, yep. especially in street basketball. Mm -hmm. I would say more so than any other sport. Yeah, it doesn't, sure. I don't think it happens in baseball as much. Nah, for you sure. can slide in hard at second base and whatever. Yeah, yeah, Spit yeah. on the guy. Mm -hmm. you know. But that's about it. But in basketball... You do have to question the man when he calls an Orange County foul. Yeah. Don't you? Yeah. Otherwise, you're a punk. Yep. And and so, again, we're playing this very dangerous machismo ballet mm -hmm. where he's got to be tough and he's got to defend his call. Mm -hmm. You've got to question it and push back a little bit. Yeah. And you never know where the line is where you're going to get punched. Mm -hmm. And... I feel like as black men, it's our duty to try to find out where that line is. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. Is that, is that still the case among it young is. people? And it, even for me, I always had an extra chip on my shoulder because I knew the guy who punched me was actually a gang member. And I could already tell. So I knew. I felt like he was just trying to test me like, oh, I'm going to call a foul even if it's not a foul. And I always had situations like that in my life because of how I talk and how I carry myself, people in my neighborhood used to be like, I don't know, they have a, th it's like a thing in lower income communities where like, if you talk properly, mm. you're not as tough or you're like a pushover or something. So I was mm. always found myself in those situations. So it wasn't like anything for me. Like I wasn't like, oh, I was stepping out of my comfort zone. I was just like, oh, this is another guy thinking he's just about to punk me or whatever. Yeah. So I said something about it. And uh, but back to your thing about our interaction with each other as black men, it definitely is just like this extra pressure put on us because of our depiction in the media. Like we feel like we have to live up to a certain idea or uh, caricature of like who we really are because every human has their own sensitivities. It's not like every black man is just super hard and just wants to like go beat up on people and have sex with every woman he sees and shit like that you know it's not like that at all but definitely every black man feels that pressure like if there's a lot of beautiful women in the room and he's the only black guy he does feel extra pressure or if there's uh, all these black guys walk in the room he does feel that pressure to be like oh let me like kind of straighten up or look a little bit more tougher 
like so say if he was just like leaning with his ch- his fist on his chin, he sees like five guys. He'll like put his hands on his laps and sit straight up. You like you know, there's always just like those little things like that. <laughs> but there is the, the spectrum. Yeah, you do have the Suge Knights, and you have the Kendrick. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and I mean Kendrick and Compton must have been a trip. You mm-hmm. know, because he was probably as soft spoken as he is today, but his lyrics are not soft spoken. See the thing. All right. So the thing about Kendrick is he actually is gang affiliated. Like people don't know that. Like he, like if you're if you're from LA or just Compton, I guess like from that area. So my family's from Compton. You can the stuff that he raps about and certain words that he says it is the gang culture in Compton. So I feel like, like yeah, I guess like his first project, Good Kid, Mad City, like. Mm-hmm. everybody essentially doesn't come into the world all menacing and stuff but it's like the stuff around him he you can tell it's stuff that he took with him and just even in his earlier music watching his i know he has this like interview with uh i want to say rick rubin or somebody in there like in mm-hmm. a backyard in compton there's like all these gangsters lifting weights and stuff behind him and like yeah there, there's like it's kind of hard to uh, even escape from that being from compton now la i feel like there's a lot more ways to escape that because there you have the beach you have like midtown you have like all these pockets of the city where you'll be around different demographics of people like compton is very inland so like you're kind of like forced to succumb to everything that's surrounding you yeah yeah now you've mentioned a few times that you can tell who's a gang member and who's not. Mm -hmm. And it also sounds like you have this map in your head about which territory the gang members are in. Mm -hmm. Do you think most people in Lamert Park have those skills too? The lady who was turning her nose up at me for sure doesn't have that knowledge. But, you know, it all depends on your experience in Lamert. Would you say 30-year-olds? Most 30-year-olds do like most of my peers and my friends know like so there's there's like three major gangs in Lamert. there's like the 30s there's the 40s then you'll have west boulevards so the reason why i didn't mention the jungles is because it's like a cross king there's like in la there's like all these small like pockets within the bit larger city of los angeles so there's a lot of borders but yeah those are the three gangs they're all crip gangs and they don't necessarily all get along like they would always call treaties sometimes and then they would be beefing the next week so the 30 crips and the 40 crips fight each other yes 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 it's the and then okay so then and this is the it's so many intricacies to la gang culture so within the 30s there's like different fractions or factions of 30s they're like the harlem 30s they're the front streets there's dirt gang and w- even within the 40s they're like they're ha- they have a gang called four Trey, which is just 43rd street then they have Parkside, which is like all the 40s that live in Lemur Park. Then there's like the Dark Side, <laughs> which is like the 40s that live on Cross Side. So there's Park Side, Dark Side, mm-hmm. and there, it's funny because I was listening to another MC's raps in Vegas. I met this guy in Vegas, and he's had a line. And I'm like, yo, if a kid isn't from Lemert, he wouldn't know what you're talking about. It was like about a principal, and there's a principal out of elementary school. Her name is Dr. Shepard. 
and he said uh, he had like a line about something about Dr. Shepard, but the students were like sheep without with their feet cut off or something. It was like a really clever line because mm-hmm. I was like, yo, that's amazing. Like how you poetically like referenced the doctor. Her doc, her name was Dr. Shepard, but you re- like like the kids were like sheep with their feet cut off. Like they weren't able to move up in life. Like I just thought that was so beautiful and poetic. Mm-hmm. And I have a line in one of my raps where I'm like, I grew up where they so deaf, which mean they can't hear that they're not alive near the park side near the dark side where them harlems right and i saw a kid in the audience his eyes lit up and then after he came up he was like you grew up in lemur didn't you and i'm like yo and it and there's little like how i say kendrick he references little stuff but if you're not familiar with the gang culture like you're just gonna be like oh he's just talking about some side of a park or something like you know mm-hmm. yeah but there's like there's like so it's so deep and you don't really know you don't really think about it. Like when I went to school in Virginia, I that's the first time that I realized like, wow, it really is like a different culture that I just have all this knowledge of that I didn't really know I wasn't aware of. Is it easy to determine who's a gang member and who's not? Because I was at a taco uh, truck not that long ago and this guy had tattoos. He had the, the gold teeth. Mm-hmm. He had everything. I just thought he looked amazing. Yeah. And because I'm an idiot, I go straight up to him and we start talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the girl I was with was, you're crazy <laughs> and you were touching him. <laughs> COVID, gang stuff, like, yeah, yeah, what's yeah. happened? And, and, and the man explained to me that, that he had been stabbed. Oh, and, wow. and I said, can I see the scar? And he lifted it up and I was like, that's not that big. And she was like, you insulted his stabbing? <laughs> Are you insane? Yeah, this, and, that but, sounds but I don't, crazy. I don't think so. I think that, again, I think respect among black and brown people mm-hmm. is tantamount. And I think when you treat people like humans, mm-hmm. that that gives them the respect that we're all searching for. Right. And two two black men in a parking lot can tease each other about our scars. Yeah, for sure. You know? Yeah, for sure. And, and also, I think BS is the opposite of respect. So if I was like, oh, wow, that must have really hurt, you know? Yeah, That's yeah, BS. Yeah, for real. So I think he respected me for keeping it real with him. Yeah, no, he definitely does. And that's the thing. Only because he knows that you're like, you can kind of relate to him in some way. Like, yeah. if it was like, Somebody of another ethnicity probably right. wouldn't have went the same way. No, yeah. no. So, is there an easy way to, to tell if a guy is it a uh, gang or so not? So there are certain tattoos. Like there's, they're definitely indicators. So if somebody wore that Chicago Cubs hat back when I was growing up, they're most likely from Harlem Thirties, or <laughs> like the. Milwaukee Brewers. So okay. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Milwaukee Brewers, but they have a glove on their hat. One of the greatest admitted. baseball symbols yes. ever. And the glove oh, doesn't have the thumb thing. It just has the space for the four fingers, and that's how you throw up 40s. So the 40s wear that hat. So growing <sighs> up in Lamert, if you see people with these hats on, that's a great indicator. Wow. Another great, Oh, another one is another Chicago team, the White Sox. Yeah. That's 6-0. 
and it doesn't make sense. It just has a S, X, and O, but it's not. Is like, that why Ice Cube was wearing the the White Sox? No, no, hat? no. So the White Sox hat did become famous back in that time. Yeah, in the like Raiders and White Sox hat. I think it was just that black and white aesthetic that right. they liked. Right. But and coming in, see, and gang culture wasn't the same even back then as it was when I was growing up. It was like. They kind of it, and you gotta realize this is like ten years after Ice Cube came on the scene, like in the '90s. So mm-hmm. there's been like all these years of establishment of like people, newcomers adding different cultures. So, but probably between that time and the time I grew up is when they were establishing. Oh, this hat means this. This hat mm. goes for that game. So White Sox was like six. So the Milwaukee Brewers are forties, thirties. <laughs> And you got all these hats. The Seattle Manors were 60s, too. The S-Dome. They call it the S-Dome. And all of these things. So if you see peoples with those hats on, if you see peoples with the tattoos of those teams, those are indicators. Also... Just the, the tattoos of the the baseball teams. Yeah, the tattoos of the baseball teams. Hmm. Or... They... It will be different. They have different signals, too. Like, uh, if somebody is wearing so crips wear blue but only the 40s wear baby blue (laughs) yeah it's like that like that so in my neighborhood if somebody was wearing like a royal blue yeah i'm like okay they're from 30s but then if they had on baby blue they're more than likely from 40s and there's stuff like you could go to the swap meet and get a regular t-shirt most if you're not in the gang you're you're most likely wearing a white t-shirt black t-shirt and it's funny because other ethnicities, if they see any black guy in a white t-shirt or black t-shirt at that time, they still just think you're a gang member. <laughs> right. But if you're, like, growing up in the neighborhood, the gang members actually buy the color of their... So they'll. Buy, if you see somebody, nobody's wearing a baby blue shirt unless you're from 40s because nobody really wants a plain baby blue shirt, like, unless it has your favorite team or so, superhero So a kid it. like you who's trying to broadcast, I'm in no gang, mm-hmm. I'm not even a free agent. Yeah. I, you would wear just a plain white tee. Ah, yeah. And it was hard. It's definitely hard. I remember I loved hats. And the first hat that I ever got was like a red uh, Cincinnati uh, Reds hat. All red with the red C. Who, who, who inspired you to do this? I just, okay. I, if I'm being honest... <laughs> After the time, the rapper The Game was very popular. Yes. Yes. And he was what? from Cedar Block, which is a blood gang in Compton. What, why, why did you hesitate saying that you're down with The Game? The Game is great. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. Has he fallen off? Did he do something No, bad? no, no. He's not falling off. I guess I just don't. I, back then, I definitely held him in a higher esteem than I do now. But that's with a lot of celebrities. And he, well, just, he came out yeah. incredibly. Like, like he was, he was. Everybody thought he was going to be the next NWA member. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like he was yeah. that powerful. Yeah, yeah, he was great, and I was influenced just by seeing him. My family was from Compton, so I kind of just felt like, oh, you know, my first hat should be like a Cincinnati Reds hat, and my favorite color has always been red. Okay. And I feel like that may have had something to me doing growing up in Inglewood might have an influence on that being my favorite color. So when I did move to Lemur Park, that was a big problem for me, like wearing red and people would bang on me and I'll be like, yo, I'm kind of tired of this, like standing up for myself or just telling people that I don't bang. So I just stopped wearing it. But that time that me and my friend, I never forget the day we go get the Cincinnati Reds hat. 
We come home to his parents' house, and his mom takes the hats from him. We never wore the hats at all. Like She's like, you guys aren't wearing this hat. His dad was a cop, and his mom was like a nurse. So his family wasn't having it. They and had then, seen it all. Yeah, they already knew what was up. They're like, nah, there's no point. And honestly, it was one of those things where, like, I'm a, I'm an adult now. And even if, if there's any kids or anything, listen, there's so many things that you don't agree with now that you're going to look back on and you're like, wow, like, how was I that stupid? Like, that's definitely one of those situations for sure. I mean, we could talk about gangs forever, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it would be great for our ratings. <laughs> this is not this is not why I'm doing this. If I wanted that, that's all we would talk about is gangs and sex and drugs. And I'd be rich. I know, right? Let's talk. Let's do the opposite. Let's talk about poetry, Dante. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> what a segue. Because hip hop, rap, all of it comes from poetry mm -hmm. yeah. and and there's something about twisting the language in beautiful ways melodic ways interesting ways throwing in where you're from like his little like easter eggs in there yeah. is is something that they've been doing forever mm -hmm. and um i think people because of hip-hop have done it because it's free Mm -hmm. um, you can do it at a corner. You can do it at a church. You can do it at a hall. You don't need equipment. You mm -hmm. know, it's it's hard to be a football player because you need twenty three other people yep, and exactly. equipment. But to spit lyrics, you don't even need a microphone, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Is is that your take on on why poetry and hip hop is is big in Lamert Park? Well. Yes. And, and not only Lamert Park, just like why it was birthed out of all these like low income communities, because there's like this pressure and to be something or to like, like you said, you're like taking something and then you're twisting it into what you want it to be. And for most of us coming from those areas, there's like we don't want to be in this area, right, with all these violence and all this low-income stuff. So it was our way of just creating a new world. Just like my me saying Prince of the Ghetto. It's just like just how my reasoning for that is the same way hip -hop, reason why hip-hop was birthed because we just needed a way to feel happy about ourselves. That's why most hip-hop is, like, super braggadocious because it's like if we don't pump up, uh, up ourselves is like the world tells us that we're nothing all the time we mm -hmm. have nothing so mm -hmm. the only way it's kind of like we're fighting our demons with the poetry mm -hmm. what's your instagram uh lineage of the kingdom <sighs> people are gonna have to spell lineage yeah so is line <laughs> age if you know how to spell those two words and you're good line age of the kingdom okay so I went on your Instagram the mm -hmm. other day because we've never met before. Yeah. By the way, thank you for coming over here. Of course, my pleasure. To uh, East Hollywood. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what gangs are in East Hollywood? Ah, uh, see, and that I'm, I'm not even gonna act like I know. I really do not. I have no clue. Now there are gangs in East Hollywood. Right. That's another a big misconception. Hollywood, East Hollywood, are not just like fucking. 
I don't know. I feel like people that don't are not from LA. They think it's just like all beautiful and just movie stars, and that's not the case at all. But you know, when you guys come and visit for yourself, you'll see what I'm talking about. Well, first of all, we're more beautiful than most movie stars, <laughs> and you're probably not going to see us, which yeah, is too bad. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but um, uh, I have seen some MS13. Uh, there you go. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Graffiti. I don't mm -hmm. know if it's real or not. No, no, no. That is. They are over here. Are they okay? Okay. The reason I mention your Instagram is on your Instagram, you're spitting rhymes. Mm -hmm. You're you're in. It almost looks like a, a cave or uh, I forget which venue this was, but it almost looked like a tunnel. You're in. It's beautifully colored. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Where was where, where was that? So that was. Uh, I did a show recently about a week, uh, two weeks ago at the Loom. It's just, uh, they, it's a crazy, beautiful, uh, immersive street art uh, exhibit. And the experience that you get from the projectors that are like at every angle, there's like moving uh, projections on the floor. So you're seeing different images moving on the floor. So don't do acid before you go. Yeah. And that's exactly what I told my girl. And me, <laughs> RK, we don't even do shit like that, but we drink not even that much but i'm like if we, i was drinking on here i would it's no way i'd be able to stand up straight like but it's so cool so they travel to different cities around the world so you'll be ah. in Sa sao paulo in brazil and then every projector has a different piece of art but you're like surrounded in it and it's on the ground so you're seeing these different street artists from these different cities all at once and experiencing them oh wow and then you'll go to like rio or you go to like Accra in Ghana, like they're literally going all over the world and showing you different street art. Um, you had you had some good rhymes that you were doing. Do you, you. do you remember them? Yeah, yeah, for do sure. You, would you like to? Uh... Okay, okay. Let's see. Rap terrorists, black arrogance. They sold us fool's gold. It's twenty four carats where my larynx is. No horsing around. No carousel. Imperative. The energy we harness help our airs lift. They want to perish us. We don't need white Jesus. We need therapists. We need control of our image. Switch the narrative. The industry of parody. Tarnishing our heritage. Before church choirs and 5G towers, we connected to higher power. Ola Dumare. Om. Ashe. Let the fifth dimension vibrate. Shoot through. Sipping green fruit juice. Bowl of couscous. Flow cut noose. Loose, speak freedom when I talk. No bald eagle or a hawk, soared with wings of my eye. Me and this light of mine, we lit up the dark. My fluorescent essence shook up the world to start anew. I'm etched sketching, excelling negatives and hell and blessings. Old head dropped some game on me. Stephen Smith said, Life like music, you gotta remix it. Cypher complete stitching. Rock my own threads, P. Miller. I'm distant from the fame. Street wisdom, the elixir for the pain. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> What's that one yeah. called? Uh, that is from a song that I made with my friends called Rap Terrorist. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. And the whole concept was like we're like coming in, destroying like the industry. So that's like a lot of the content is like me talking about like how they're painting this image of us. Like we talked about earlier with the movies and everything. Mm -hmm. That's always just been something that annoys me. And even when I listen to that verse, I'm like so happy that I'm able to be creative like this and express like what I'm I truly feel in a creative way. Like it's such a blessing. And I, I thank God or the universe, whoever you want to say, like every day for the gift because like 
yeah it's just a it's just a great thing to be able to like speak because i know there's a lot of people that feel this way but they can't really say mm-hmm. it you know or they don't know how to put it into words your rhymes are great man thank you thank you did you go to college uh, for a little bit, but Where'd I didn't go? finish. I went to Norfolk State in Virginia. Uh-huh. Well, let me not, it's Norfolk. Let me pronounce it correctly. <laughs> Norfolk State. <laughs> and it's a military town in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like in the projects of Virginia. I had a very rough time there, man. A very tumultuous time. Like, I was getting my books stolen. I got my mm. dorm broken into. I broke my collarbone playing basketball. And then, like, right after I broke my collarbone, people <laughs> were like, picking on me like i i kind of basically almost got jumped again in virginia like just a crazy time but you know everything happens for a reason and Mm -hmm. i was able to write one of my best pieces as an artist through all that like through that experience you know did you go to norfolk for uh creative writing uh no no i went for basketball so Oh, and it and it was like the world's way of just telling me that writing was gonna be like my life path i was like a huge jock through my whole life like i started playing sports at four Mm -hmm. and i played all different kinds of sports and i end up like taking a love of basketball so uh when i met mike the poet our good friend who connected us in high school i got injured in my senior year and it was like the most important year for me like i gotta earn all these scholarships so it was kind of like a downtime for me and then i met mike and he introduced me to writing. And I, I always loved reading, but I wasn't really, I didn't know that I could write. And uh, Mike saw something in my writing and he was just like encouraging me. And then I went to college and I was playing. I was like, okay, the writing thing was cool. Like it was a cool experience, but it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to be a writer. I just knew I had like a new skill. But I went to college and when I broke my collarbone, all these things were happening to me. And then I wrote like a great piece and then I was like, yo, maybe I'm supposed to, like, be writing. Because the stuff that I was writing in high school, I noticed that my peers would be, like, touched by it. Mm-hmm. And I did notice. I'm like, yo, how are you even thinking? I always do this when I'm when I, I'm like, I don't know what that was. And I know it's not me. I'm able just to channel whatever energy is sending me these messages. Because, like, even stuff that I write today, I'm like, it's no way I thought of something that profound. Like, it was just, like, <laughs> me, like... And even when you're writing it, it's like a weird feeling. Like, you know that it's not you. Like, especially when you get to writing and you're just writing, you're like, oh, like, I'm just, I'm tapped in right now and I have to, like, relay this message that's coming through me, you know? It's the best, isn't it? Yeah, it it is. It's the best. It's addictive. It is. Uh, Okay. For those of you who who might not go to the website at hereinla.com, this handsome man kind of looks like a younger James Harden because he got the the cool beard (laughs) going. But you've got the do-rag on. Yeah. I'm describing you mm-hmm. and beautiful chocolate brown. Thank you, thank you. Beautiful thank you. is for our racist listeners. <laughs> you might not, if you saw you walking down the street, you almost look like Desus of, of Desus and Mero yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Have people said that? No, I get Nipsey or Nipsey LeBron, Hustle a little bit. LeBron. LeBron? Yeah, I don't look like him, but it's the beard. I don't beard. look like either one of them, honestly. I see a little Nipsey in the eyes. Okay. In the I have braids too, so once I got the braids, it didn't really help. People really started calling me Nipsey, but when I had short hair, people were calling me LeBron. So, but growing up and being a tall black guy, I'm being called so many names like throughout my life. Like, okay, I'm gonna get back to the the racist people in a second, but isn't being called LeBron an insult? Ah, I feel like it's an insult. 
even in L.A. Because he he won in Miami, yep. he won in Cleveland. He only came here for clout. Exactly. Right? And that's so if what I called I somebody LeBron, yeah. I wouldn't really mean it as a compliment. Would you? No. So the first time I heard it, I was a bouncer in Echo Park, and I kicked these drunk girls out. They're like, you fake it's LeBron. Like, as they're getting in their Uber. Which, which club in the uh, uh, Gold Room. It's like a famous I, spot, yeah. Kesha used to hang out there before yep. she was famous. Mm-hmm. Right on yeah. Sunset. Yep. Yeah. Did you right, ever go yeah, to, it is right on Sunset. You ever yep. go to Tacos Ariza's uh, across the street? It's like almost oh, Kitty yeah. Corner mm-hmm. by the Lassens. Yes, for Love sure. Love that yep. truck. Yeah, yeah. So they course. called you a fake-ass LeBron. Yeah, fake-ass LeBron. Uh, that was the first time. But, you know, I'm a huge Kobe fan, so it is kind of like one of those things where I'm like, damn. I mean, Kobe didn't have a beard, so I'm not expecting to get called Kobe, but I'm like, ah, I don't really he want had to be a, He had one for a very short period of time. Yeah, he did. And he, he looked did, great yeah, with a beard. He did. He did, yeah. Kobe. See, when I was younger, I mean, obviously, I didn't have any facial hair, but I used to rock a fro, and people would call me Kobe, and I was so super stoked about that. Like, yeah. You know? But, yeah, I guess you're kind of right about that, Bron thing. Okay. So, um, the reason I'm describing how you look is I feel like when people drive down the street and they see black men mm-hmm. wearing the do-rag and with the beard, they would never think, oh, that's a gentleman who likes to read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I know exactly. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and yeah. so I think that that's why this podcast is so important, mm-hmm. is I want to break down every stereotype of L.A., not only that there's not celebrities everywhere, that everybody's rich or that everybody's trying to be famous and rich and all mm-hmm. that stuff, but that L.A. is probably more like your neighborhood, no matter where you are, than you think. Yeah. And you can't put L.A. in a box any more than they could put you or me in a box. Exactly. Because we're going to blow your mind about what we really like. And what we really like is probably just as nerdy and as bizarre as what you really like, mm-hmm. whoever it is that you are. Exactly. And so it warms my heart that you say that you love to read and that this white poet <laughs> <laughs> taught you, or at least nah, he did. He inspired gave... you nah, to tap me. into that energy mm-hmm. that is flowing through you now. Yeah. Because that's what, that's what to me is so great about L.A., is it's a mixture of cultures. It's a mixture of where people are coming from. And when we interact with each other, magic happens. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you and Mike had a little magic when you guys met. Yeah, definitely. I first met him and I'm just like, yo, who is this bohemian, like, white guy? Like, I kind of just thought he was cheesy. Like, honestly, if I'm being honest with myself, I was just like, yo, I thought this class was going to be easy, but... It just got even easier. Like, he's just at this school with all these black kids. We're going to push this guy over. And it was like, bro, the exact opposite. Like, now, I mean, I consider him my brother. Like, I would do anything for that man. And he taught me, like, about my culture more than anybody that's my skin color or ethnicity yet. And and, and it's, like, it's honestly mind-blowing, like, when I think about my relationship with Mike. I grew up in Lemert. I had no idea about, like, that cul-de-sac community that we were speaking of earlier. Mike introduced me to that, and I grew up there my whole life. I had no clue that my 
that I thought it was just gangs and like nonsense. Like I didn't know we had an area that actually had art and artists where people were. So you just stayed at home? You would come home from school and just. I didn't just stay at home. I would go to different parks to play basketball, though. Right. That's the thing. I was just a jock, so I wasn't really into like any art scene. I didn't have any friends that were artists. Mm. So I just kind of was just going with the flow of what I knew, like going, riding the bus home from school, going across the street to go play basketball, walking to the burger stand and get food, like seeing gang fights, mm. but never going. So I didn't even, like I said, I had no clue about Lemur. And then not only did he teach me about Lemur, the books he was giving me, like, I feel like the first five books that he gave me were like about like all different type of black man. Like he gave me a book about Eldridge Cleaver, who was like a Black Panther, Solo Ice. He gave me a book about Tookie Williams, who started the Crips. He gave me a book about uh, who else? Asada, Asada uh, Shakur, um, who was also a Black Panther. And he was like basically teaching me about like the radical side of not even i won't say the radical side because i guess gang members are pretty radical people i knew about that but i didn't know that about like the fight against like my people like i knew that my life was fucked up because i was black and all of that but i just didn't know uh, like the terminology like i didn't know uh like redlining for housing i didn't know all of these different things that like keep us down as a people until I start reading the these books and I'm like, oh wow, it makes sense. Like it was like a type of connecting the dots thing. Like you know what's happening, but you don't know really know how to explain it or how the system moves. Mm -hmm. And then he he basically taught me. And now it's crazy because like I feel like just like my last piece, like I'm like he ignited a fire that's not necessary. Like he's not a black man. Like he doesn't have he doesn't benefit from the liberation of black people. But he's like teaching me, and not only me. He I saw him taught teach other kids about their cultures. Like I have a Mexican friend Lalo who grew up in Cypress Park, which is on the other side of the city. Mike connected us to, and now we're brothers. And he was teaching Lalo about like uh, Mayan history, Aztec history, about uh, ancient Mexican cultures, about the history of uh, Mexican history in LA. And he just has like an extensive history of all these things. Mm -hmm. And you know, it is different cultures. He's from LA. He he's like an LA guy. So he knows all these different cultures because our city is just so mm -hmm. mixed and diverse. Let's, uh, let's wrap it up with books a little bit. Okay. You have book drives for the kids. Yeah, for sure, yeah. And I guess my question is, are you looking for school books or are you looking for these kind of books that Mike gave you? No, I'm looking for the kind of books that Mike gave me. So I specifically chose a bookstore called Esawan Bookstore, which is closing down in Lamar yeah, Park. Yeah, R.I.P., huh? Yeah. And Mike introduced me and he took me there the first time. The owner's like, oh, you guys just missed Nas, who's a famous rapper from New York. He just walked out and bought $20,000 worth of books. And I was like, yo, at that time, <laughs> I'm all, I was always into reading. I was always into hip hop, even before I met Mike. And Nas was like my favorite MC because of like 
I, he just took it to a different level for me. It was like, I felt like everybody else was like bubblegum rap, but because I was a reader, I knew like my vocabulary was higher than most. And he was the only person who was like stimulating in that way for me. And tough. And tough. Yeah. So it was like a dichot. It was like the perfect balance for somebody coming from my community. Like, yeah. oh, I, I have to kind of be tough, but I don't really want to be. It's just like well, I'm forced to be. Yeah. He was like my guy for that. So I was just like, and when I heard that, I'm like, yo, I'm going to have to step it up with my reading. Like, if he's buying, investing $20,000, and I'm like, that's what it takes to be a lyrical rapper, like, you know? So going, that was, like, what kind of inspired me. And then the Esawans, they always have black author, authors, and they have books about everything. And they don't, it's not necessarily just, like, Black Panther books or anything like that. Like, they definitely have conservative like republican authors but they're black you know they're black authors well we got to burn some books yeah <laughs> i know right <laughs> so i just and then growing up doing uh events there with mike and other older poets that were always giving back to the community like always giving back when i grew up i kind of just felt that uh, i've just felt not it wasn't really a pressure because it's something that i love and enjoy like if I can give a child the same experience that Mike and these other poets were giving to me, then I would absolutely love to do it. So I just felt like it was my turn. I was getting older. It was my time in line. And just having people like Mike and the other poets and artists like A.K. Tony and Lamert, all these people that I looked up to. And I was even reading about them in books. I, I just remember reading about a poet from Lamert called A.K. Tony in a book that was called Lamert Park by an older poet called Kamal Daoud. And I'm like, yo, he's, I know this guy. Like, I felt so special because I read a book and I knew the character in the book. I'm like, yo, what? This is like amazing. Yeah. And I'll never forget that feeling. And I just wanted to do that. I knew it was just my time to step up and do more than just like be performing. And I felt like it was the easiest thing to me. They're like, you, and that's how life is. Like when you do something you love, it really does work out. I wasn't like, I'm, and I always had this thing where, like, I did want to go to the NBA and I always wanted to be like, oh, give back to the community or like, and I thought that you had to have money to do it. But when I started doing the book drives, I approached uh, the cafe, uh, Hot and Cool Cafe, which is popular in Lemur right now. And she was like, it's funny that you say this because we had a DJ and she wanted to do an event. She just left, but she doesn't know any artists. And we wanted to do an event, but we don't. We didn't have a DJ or artist, and now you guys both came today. So, and it was one of those things where I had been thinking about it for a while, and something in me that day told me to go up there and talk. And mind you, I did, at this time I was like really struggling. I didn't. I don't think I had paid my phone bill mm. for those two weeks. Like, I didn't. I wasn't in a position to be doing a book driver. Like, <laughs> and it's just one of those things where I tell people like, when you listen to that voice, like the it's like no matter what you think that is the problem is with it or why it can't happen that that voice is telling you to do it because it's going to happen like yeah you just don't know you just don't know how you don't see the possibility so and this so, will be our fourth year doing it together now I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt our listener base not only are they sexy uh-huh. <laughs> they are very well read and i'm sure they would love to help out your book drive yeah I've got a house full of books that I'm going to drive over to Lamert if, right. you, if you tell me to. Okay. <laughs> what address uh, should we drop them off at? How, how do oh, we yeah, get yeah. the books over to you? Because I'm telling you, I'm going to have a car full of books. Okay, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I, that. I have this little thing called ADD now. Uh-huh. <laughs> and 
I used to read a lot when I was younger. Yeah. And I, I listen now on mm-hmm. tape, which I've interviewed some some writers and some bookstores, and they say that that counts too. Yeah. I don't think it does. Because I think there it is something special about it, especially being on a bus and reading your book and being really into it and then being sad when it's over. Yeah. I, that's an experience I don't have when I watch movies. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm never sad Man, when four is over so... or whatever. Yeah. But I'm sad when my favorite books are over. And so sometimes I won't even finish them. Mm-hmm. Because I'm like, well, on a rainy day, I'll be able to read those final mm-hmm. couple chapters. So... Um, I would love to give some books to you. Awesome. Thank you. Where should I go? So, Hot and Cool Cafe in Lemur. We have a donation box set up. The address is 4331 Degnan Boulevard. That's spelled D-E-G-N-A-N. Okay. And if you guys look up Hot and Cool Cafe on Google Maps or whatever maps you have, Apple Maps, uh, you guys will be able to find the address. Is there in Lemur Park? Now, now this is this is really close to Crenshaw and King, right? Yeah, yep. It's not far from Crenshaw. So and white King people at all. should not be afraid. Yeah, nah, nah. Even though we've explained there are both Crips and Bloods. Yes, but fighting over this yeah, neighborhood. That's all subsided. It's not like you could. Every time I've been in Hot and Cool, like the last few times, there's <laughs> been a couple of white people and no black people. So. Uh, you guys feel well, cause, free to Because it's gentrifying. By. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely changing. The neighborhood is uh, a lot And safer. then afterwards, you can have a, a, a Krispy Kreme. It's a drive through yeah. Krispy Kreme. Yep. So you don't yeah. have to get out. <laughs> what What do they serve at Hot and Cool? Uh, They got a lot of healthy options. They got like vegan sliders. They use like impossible meat or some huh. plant-based meat. Have you had these sliders? Yes. Yeah. It's my favorite thing. I, I guess that's why I said it first. Uh-huh. I've been through a couple of favorite dishes. So the top or like the soul bowl for me at least they have like this v or like plant-based barbecue chicken with a vegan mac and cheese with cashew cheese and then collard greens over like the what's that rice called the white rice yeah Uh, yeah it's amazing man it's amazing so it's vegan soul food is what you're telling me yes it's called the soul bowl I'm I'm sold. Yeah, yeah, no, it's amazing. People's, That's probably like the best thing. Honestly. When I say that I'm going to the neighborhood talking to people, they're like, "Well, you can talk about food," and I'm like, "No, everybody talks about food." Mm-hmm. But maybe I should be talking about food a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, nah, yeah. It's the great Soul spots. Bowl. Yep, the Soul Bowl. Hot I'm and cool. In. I'm in. Yep. mentioned kobe and you mentioned nipsey Mm -hmm. what i love about driving in south la do you call it south la or south central or what do you call it i'll call it south la okay yeah South. it's more respectful right yeah yeah i love the the murals of kobe and nipsey beautiful and nipsey to me wasn't top of mind Mm -hmm. before he died um the way that he died i think propelled him in most of our minds um but I also dated a girl who was a hotel concierge in Beverly Hills. Mm. And Nipsey came in and was a total gentleman. Mm. So when he died, she was in tears. Damn. Because you meet certain celebrities and they, they move you in certain mm-hmm. ways. And Nipsey actually 
in a brief moment, touched her in a nice way. And I have a feeling that that's why his murals are up almost as much as Kobe's. Now, Kobe, different mm-hmm. level. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And died at 40 mm-hmm. and, you know, won rings and was only L.A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, you're never going to get that level of love from L.A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I see a lot of Nipsey murals. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Um, your sister went to school with him? Uh, well, no, his little sister went to, uh, my high school, View Park Prep. View Park High. Yep, View Park High, and it's right on the intersection where he was murdered at a store, Crenshaw and Slauson. So he, his store was called the Marathon Shop, right? Yes. And Crenshaw, Crenshaw and Slauson is, um, is that Inglewood? Or is that- no, that's, uh, LA, that's considered, like, the Rolling 60s territory, which is where he's, he is from. I love that you, your map, your gang map is <laughs> locked in. Yeah. Do these borders change a lot? Do you have to change your map a lot in your head? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Determining on like what streets, I'm always like, like if I hear a street, I'm like going through like the roller decks, and then when I hear the cross street, it's like narrowing <laughs> it down. So we're talking Crenshaw and Slauson, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so Marathon is the southwest corner. Yep. And I would say the northeast corner is a bank that has a great mural of, mm-hmm. of Nipsey there. Yeah, beautiful. beautiful. Mm-hmm. And on the southeast corner is my favorite Popeyes. Yep. Because they served me the chicken sandwich and nobody else had. <laughs> so this corner is a black corner. Yep. And even though there's a lot of construction going on with Crenshaw, are they? Are, is that subway going to go up yeah, that? Yeah, so it's running right now. I so think that it's... might change the neighborhood a little bit. Oh, definitely, yeah. Or it might help people stay in the neighborhood because if you can take the subway to work in downtown, yeah. you might not have to move. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, so that's true. maybe it'll keep the hood the way mm-hmm. the way it is or improve it. Right. So, um, okay, so View Park High School is nearby. Mm-hmm. Is that neighborhood View Park? Because I thought View so Park that was neighborhood up on a, a behind hill. it. The neighborhood behind it. So the 60s are like a very special game because geographically, if you live in that neighborhood, you're you got to have some kind of money to be staying in those like Slauson homes. They're like nice homes yeah. in that area. So there's like a space that is like it's kind of it's kind of weird. It's not directly behind that school, but there's a community that is called View Park that is like, I guess, which area would be. It would be the south. So Nipsey's shop was on Crenshaw and Slauson. Mm-hmm. And you said it was the southwest? Or yes. this is the northwest. Southwest? Southwest is Marathon. So our school was on the southeast corner. So okay. a little bit more southeast, actually. Yeah, diagonal line southeast mm-hmm. is a neighborhood of like black doctors, black lawyers called View Park. And it's like a well-renowned area. People call it the Black Beverly Hills. Yes. Yeah. And it's called View Park because it's up on a hill. And they have a nice view. Of um, downtown, yep. even. Mm-hmm. Like, you can see Hollywood and downtown. Mm-hmm. Like, it's phenomenal. And um, so your sister went to high school there. Yeah, my sister, who's a writer as well, uh, she currently is, like, writing this docu-series with, uh, I don't want to say who, but she's working on a few things, and she lived in Africa for, like, the last three years. Wow. She's, like, an amazing poet as well, too. I guess what I'm going to is, uh, did the black doctors let their kids go to school at View Park? 
or did they take him into yeah, private school? A lot of, a lot of. So the View Park was a charter school, a preparatory charter school. So okay. it was, uh, it was sold to the parents to be like this special education type of thing without the tuition. Right. So a lot of the kids parents were well off like a lot of my peers in high school they had cars like by 10th grade and stuff mm. like that so it wasn't like the kids that were going there weren't really the problems just like the kids around the area like we had and it, that was stuff because the kids that were going there weren't used to like the all the gang activity and stuff so yeah. it was like kind of a very interesting dynamic okay do you have one more poem that you'd like to read for us, uh, or have you memorized? By the oh, way, yeah, he's got no he's got no notes, yeah, ladies and gentlemen. I memorize everything. This I is write, a, a real a real poet here. Yeah, I'll do this one. I feel like it's very like introspective and more universal, so anybody that's listening will be able to like resonate. Um, I. My tongue a pump, I spit classics. Reebok, leave the scene smoky when we pull up in D-Box. Rather that than the gun smoke. Give me one mic, watch me unload. Mind moving fast, but my tongue slow. Excuse this conundrum. Champ city where I come from. Got the wood on my back, crucify me, I'm God's son. Uh, been betrayed by the world, won't betray me again. Left me with no squad like the Raiders and Rams. Forced on this journey, a voyage, escape to within. Young architect, how I play with the pen. Excavating the gems of my soul. Courage built from dents in the road. It's all how you deal, how you cope when the enemy attempts to corrode. Will you bend? Will you fold? Your energy, it stems from the solar. Intelligence descended from the old folks. Messages like relics embedded in my lyrics. Yeah, you fine, but the flesh is not the spirit, and love is not defined by reflections in the mirror. Yes! <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, this has been phenomenal. Thanks. Dante? Tony, thank you for having me, brother. Uh, I hope your book drive just blows up. Thanks, thanks. Um, you want deep books, even though these are for kids. Yeah, I mean, any books are fine, honestly. So okay. any like if you have any coloring books, we give this to kids of all ages. Okay. But like, yeah, I usually buy when I go out and buy the books for the donations, I buy like books about like people that were dynamic in like uh, the liberation movement, stuff that they don't teach kids in school. So just so people will have like a better knowledge of the world that they live in, honestly. Right on. How great was Dante? You know who we'd give our black history books to if they wanted? Our Patreons. When you stoke us, you're saying, Tony, Jordan, please don't list us with the names below. I'm very shy, but take it. Take all the money. So shout out to our Patreons. Nancy Rommelman, Sean Atlow, Matt Mills, Sean Wallace, Greg and Molly, Jamie Taylor, Mark Johnson, Kira Ann, Barney Grinke, Ben Welsh, James, <laughs> Jen Adams, Trevor Wilson, Bree Wild, Dougie Gyro, Christina Up North, Robin Carey, and Adam Shorn. Want to support this fine podcast that features beautiful souls and poets? This is this is now our second poet. Well, just go to patreon.com slash here in LA and give till it hurts. Also, shout out to our Angelinos. 
To be an Angelino, all you got to do is PayPal or even Venmo, 25 bucks or more, and we will list you on the Here in LA website or Medium blog forever. Just send your hard-earned cash to busblog at gmail.com. Want to support us, but you bet the house on Giselle and Tom sticking together? Well, you can still help. Post your favorite episode on Facebook, OMG Post 2. Tweet something nice about us. Anytime you see me tweet about an episode, retweet it. And for God's sake, tell your friends, especially your smart ones. Tell them how Here in L.A. is spelled, and then it's on Apple Podcasts and Google and even Amazon. Here in L.A. is produced by myself, Tony Pierce, and a man who should have gotten these files days ago, Jordan Katz. Editing, mixing, and music supervision by Jordan Katz. Songs by Orgone and Jordan Katz. Special thanks for Cindy for creating the logo. Uh, and I believe it's her birthday coming up. Or was it? Is it? It's com- it is coming up. Also thanks for, to Jen for inspiring this. And teachers everywhere like Mike the Poet and now Dante, who inspire others around them to reach their highest potential. Thank you, unknown person. Sin, sin, sin.